Good morning, I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the September 7th, 2021 edition of Ask a Leader with Neil Kelly, Orange County Registrar of Voters, under whose watchful eye, Orange County voters will cast their ballots in the statewide recall election. Just a portion of his office's current responsibilities. Let's start the show now. Returning to Ask a Leader in a time-honored ritual of appearing in the thick of some kind of election is my first guest, Neil Kelly, Orange County Registrar of Voters. Orange County being the fifth largest voting jurisdiction in the United States, serving more than 1.8 million registered voters. To date, Neil Kelly is the longest serving registrar in the history of Orange County, and among the most senior officials in California. In these positions, he's not only looked upon as a seasoned administrator, but an expert in implementing process reforms that benefit election workers and voters alike. At the time of his appointment, there were few policies and procedures in place to ensure coordination between polling places and other key election offices. In some jurisdictions, informal procedures may meet the demands of a smaller electorate. In Orange County, however, any election conducted prior to 2020 required effective coordination between 1,200 polling places and 10,000 volunteers. So this kind of logistics and coordination is something that he brought from an extensive background and he's recognized by he's been the recipient of numerous state and national awards for election administration and is a he's a former appointee and founding member of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security Election Security Task Force, where he helped oversee the protection of the nation's election infrastructure. He also serves as a member and past chair of the U.S. Election Assistance Commission Board of Advisors. I have more questions of him than I have time. So I'm going to begin. The larger share of this interview will be covering the California statewide recall election. Since we've got the voting underway, everybody knows their role here. And we get, as we always say at the end of each interview together, we're shooting for 100 percent participation. He comes to us today from his office in Santa Ana. Neil Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, as always. So I'd like to start with the logistics. Could you briefly lay out the places that voters can drop their vote by mail ballots and what they are able to do with the in-person centers that are opening on September 4th. We are recording this, folks, on September 2nd. So talk, Neil, about where they can place their ballots. Sure. So we mailed out uh, 1.8 million ballots a few weeks ago. We've had a fantastic return so far, a lot of energy among the voters, which is great. And currently, there are multiple locations that they could deposit their ballot. The first being the United States mail system. If they would like to do that, it's postage paid. And they also have the option to drop their vote by mail ballot into a one of our secure drop boxes located throughout Orange County. There's 116 of those. And then we have four in-person drop-off locations at City Halls, uh, which include Garden Grove, Laguna Beach, San Juan Capistrano, and then the Orange County Clerk Recorder in Laguna Hills. So lots of options for voters, at least up to this point. Okay. And then on to the in-person, overall, there's 64 around, and everyone can see on their card that you have distributed before we got our ballots, the, the reinforced paper with the 
um, the voting in the statewide re-election uh, recall. I'm not sure what that there. The, each piece has its name, I'm sure, in the yeah. in your registrar voters office. But. Well, so you're talking about the in-person pieces, right? And those vote center locations will start opening on this coming Saturday. And we'll open 33 of those. And then uh, the, the following Saturday, we'll open another 31. So we'll end up with 64 total, like you mentioned, going through Election Day. So for this recording, it's next Saturday. But when people hear the broadcast, it's going to be the previous Saturday that those first in-person places. So tell us about the expense. There's a tab to running this recall. Mainly it's the state, but what? how much is the state shelling out and how much does Orange County have to shell out for this recall election? Well, the estimates for the, the statewide recall election is just shy of $300 million. And uh, it's, it's not a cheap proposition, but if you think about the most populous state in the country and the amount of voters uh, in the state, that's not unusual for, for a recall election or for a statewide. Now, here in Orange County, the costs uh, are about $7 million to run this countywide election. Now, the good news is, unlike many other state-run elections before, uh, the state has actually reimbursed the county early uh, before the election, which is unusual. We actually received a check for $7.1 million from the state for the election costs before we've even incurred all of them. So that's good news. Oh, wow. And I guess I just need to geek out a little bit more about, is this a general revenue $300 million expenditure or is this coming out of some other pot? Well, the legislature passed a bill uh, as a part of a, a trailer bill to the budget. So the, the actual budget that was passed in the state uh, just at the end of June included this as an allocation, which came out of the state's general fund. It is, okay. So you are saying that you're seeing some pretty good sort of turnout so far. Do you have a number as of September 2nd, the percentage of the ballots that have been returned to you? Yes. So we're just uh, right about 23% right now, which is a little bit above the statewide average. We're far ahead of counties like Los Angeles and San Bernardino County, which are in the 15, 16% range. So good, good energy among our voters here in Orange County. And I would suspect that's going to continue. And I wanted to know, because in social media, we're all seeing people give screenshots of their confirmation, a receipt of their ballots it's anywhere, any county in California. And Neil, it says on that text in it that says, and your vote has been counted. And that's like a big deal when voters want to know when votes are actually counted. So what's with that verbiage? Because I thought it was the day of the actual election, like September 14th would be when the counting actually begins. Well, it's a little bit of semantics, but there's an important distinction there. And, and it's true that has been counted if they've been notified of that, meaning their ballot was deemed eligible and it was open and we have counted it. Now, the difference is we don't tally it. We don't add up all of the votes until election night. We can't do that. So nobody knows the results until election night. Okay, so everybody who's voted, let's say by now, that when we see those early percentages on the returns, this September 14th at 8 p.m., starting mm -hmm. at 8.01 p.m., then uh, those votes are going to start to, we'll be in that group. I mean, I voted like two weeks ago, I think. Well, I'll tell you, Claudia, everything in that group at 8.05 p.m. when we post our first results will include every ballot we've received through Election Day. But what won't be included in there are votes that are dropped off or mailed on Election Day. Those will be in, you know, in the days following. 
And the, the final date that a stamped ballot, September 14th stamp ballot, is that still the same as in all of the previous elections? That, no. Uh, no. By, what's the <laughs> Leg- final date? The legislature likes to keep changing that. It's seven days after election day. So it's September the 21st, 5 p.m. So when you say change, does that change it for election specific situations or does that seven days is going to extend for like the midterm elections next year, 2022? Great question. The standard law is three days post-election. This uh, seven days was put in specifically as a bill for the recall election. So I would anticipate it would revert back to the three days unless they change that. Okay, that's helpful. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest is Neil Kelly, Orange County Registrar Voters, about the California statewide recall election. It's already begun. We're recording this on September 2nd. There's going to be lots and lots of breaking news, but this is so clarifying, Neil. I appreciate your giving us the time to do this. And I always, I mean, it's a its a nag. You're probably always waiting for my email. Is she going to ding me again during the loan? So if you could break down, what are the... Um, can you break down what do you might anticipate as the ways in which people are going to vote? Or that's just like totally unknown. Well, it is unknown, but I think looking at the trends right now, you know, heavy usage on mail ballots. I anticipated that Democrats are outpacing Republican returns right now on those. But, you know, we saw in, in 2020 that Republicans waited further into the process closer to Election Day if they were voting by mail or they held on to their mail ballot and dropped it off on election day. So that I think we're going to see, you know, a definite shift in that. I don't think we're going to see heavy in-person voting necessarily. I think we're going to see heavy drop-offs in person, but not necessarily actually casting a ballot in person. So I want to know, what is the purview of Orange County Registrar of Voters to counter disinformation, misinformation, campaigns and name the platform. Is staff tracking that or are you counting on other agencies to be watching that? Or are you relying on the social media enterprise themselves to be doing their own policing? Where, who's taking track, keeping track of this, these kinds of disinformation, misinformation campaigns? Well, I never rely on the social media platforms to do that. <laughs> I think I'd be waiting a long time for that to take place. I, you know, it's a combination, Claudia. We have a good working relationship with Homeland Security and the FBI, and they provide a lot of intelligence on misinformation to us. But we track it ourselves. We, we not only track it on social media, we track it in our phone calls that come into our office. And we set up a web page devoted to misinformation and myths. And on that webpage, voters can go. And if they're so inclined to, you know, if they want to balance in the facts, they can come to the trusted official source of election information and see the accurate information on these myths. And I will tell you that it it's coming in fast and furious. I'm, I'm never surprised at the daily dose of misinformation and rumors that are spread on elections. It's, it's almost become, um, I don't want to say comical because it's not. But it's it's just it's shocking. Okay, folks, they're letting all that sink in. I heard last night it was relayed to me that an individual's parents caregiver said, well, I can't vote by the ballot because uh, there's a window on the envelope to return that'll say how I voted and my vote will be tossed. Is that on your platform or you have to I mean, the person my my contact was able to actually disabuse the person of that. But that's one of the examples of the disinformation out there. 
Yeah, that's a great example. Somebody posted a video a few few days ago uh, showing a hole in a, a return envelope and indicated that if it was folded the right way, you could see how she voted through that window. Now, in Orange County, I did away with those a long time ago. But the purpose of those in other counties are for sight disabled voters to be able to feel that paper that is ensuring inside that envelope. There's a really important purpose to that. And I can't use it because of our automation equipment. But you know, people need to understand there's a reason for that. And if they fold their ballot correctly in other counties where this does happen, it's not an issue. So this is overblown. And I think, you know, people just need to calm down and realize that um, there's a purpose behind that and just fold their ballot inside. It's that simple. So that's where our disinformation takes root is that there's a grain of truth to it. And then right. it's a wild interpretation that looks plausible. Well, right. so there are after all these recalls, Neil, that you've administered over the years. I mean, there's been municipal, there's state and there's. I'm trying to think of it. They're all kinds. Are they all unique from each other? I mean, you can't really translate a experience from a previous recall into a new one. It has to be from whole cloth in a way to administer, isn't it? Yeah, in, in a sense, that's true. But I will, I will also tell you that, you know, there's a thread of commonality between these. And that is that recall elections are generally the most divisive because there's a level of passion on both sides that is sometimes not present in other elections. And so that's something that, you know, we deal with in any recall. I think that's a common thread. So I know that we all must understand that the registrar of voters is running a machine all year in, year out, month in, month after month after month. So you really had a full plate before the recall petition qualified for the statewide ballot. So how tall an order, Neil, was it to get this operation up and running to, and then for, so then you had to print out, well, you got state issued materials, I guess, but you still had local materials to print out. So how, how tall an order was all this gearing up in such a short time? This was a very heavy lift. And I, I am not playing violins because this is what we do for a living and we do it quite well. But I will tell you that the shortened time frame uh, and, and the condensed calendar has created a lot of logistical problems and challenges that we've overcome. So it was it was a heavy lift. But keep in mind, Claudia, you know, if we didn't have this recall election, we would have been knee deep planning for the primary process on top of redistricting, which we are doing on top of retirement elections, which we are running for the retirement board. Um, so now we're just doing it all concurrently. And uh, it, it just, you know, you have to expand the operation and plan for it. So I guess the analogy is you have to talk, chew gum and make a souffle all at the same time. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All, all, and then a few more things. So, I mean, it, well, so it must be hard for you. You've got to, it's a tall order for you to continue to keep morale together. You've, you, I mean, I get yeah. there used to be a probably a rhythm for when maybe staff could take a breath, but uh, I, yes, admittedly, the census with redistricting issues, and it was a, a late results on the, the, the data for that. And redistricting still hasn't quite, the mapping has not been completed on the local and the state and the federal levels. So you're asking a lot of all of yourselves, and I, go ahead and play the violin there, but <laughs> I, I want to know how how you can, um, you, you. it's a management kind of a conundrum just to sort of 
to pace the staff. You know, I, I, I like to pride myself on this and say that I run this like a military operation because we do. And, you know, this is a very tightly run ship and the team comes together and, you know, it's all hands on deck. I think, you know, to your point about there is more to it, of course there is. I mean, if you go back to when the recall was gaining steam and we saw that, you know, these petitions were, were gaining steam, we started our planning back then, Claudia, not even knowing if the petitions were going to pass. Because I'll give you an example, um, printing ballots. We're the only county in California out of all 58 that prints our own ballots. That provides a level of security and chain of custody that you don't see in other counties. And in order to do that, we are in the you know, printing business and we have to fight for paper around the country because there's a national paper shortage. I mean, people aren't thinking about these kinds of things. And so we had to order paper back in the spring, anticipating maybe there would be a recall election called so that we would have inventory to print. And that's just one example of thousands of logistics and action items that have to be dealt with for any major election. You know, we onboarded hundreds of people in the middle of COVID still being a problem. And that's a challenge, you know, in and of itself let alone the fact that we have to do all this planning. And so you're right. I mean, keeping morale uh, positive and keeping spirits up is, is challenging when you have all this misinformation thrown at the team. But, you know, they're doing a great job. And I'm proud of every one of them. Well, and I'm thinking, right, the, the supply chain of the paper stock for the ballots and, uh, and other pieces. So and when I'm looking at that hard stock, item, I guess I, I still don't know what name it's, what we call it, but I mean, you got to like, how many eyeballs have to see that there is absolute, there are no typos on that because there's, it's so detailed. Right. When I came into this office in 04, there was an approving process. And so now we don't let anything go out the door without it going through up to five layers of detailed, critical proofing. I mean, I think you're going to see a proofing process here in our office that would um, outpace Random House or the LA Times because of, you know, it's a big issue if you have a major flaw or error in, in a ballot product. And so we work very hard to make sure we don't. Now, we are still human beings. And if, if we, through all those efforts, we still have an issue, then we have to be prepared to correct it. So... Well, one last question about the recall. Is there any way the recall has a dividend about engaging voters for the next, the midterm cycle in 2022? Is there that tiny silver lining? Yeah, I think the byproduct of this is people will be a little bit re more ready and engaged when June comes around for the primary. You think about the primary is only nine months away. Yeah. And I'm wondering about, I, I have actually quizzed everybody, well, a lot of people, about do they know that every two years the primary in California changes months? I mean, that, and nobody has thought about that. That, I mean, reasonably, I mean, very involved campaign kinds of activists and that kind of a thing. And that's a tall order. I'm sure maybe a few other states have that deal, but that's an education thing that's a bit on the Orange County Registrar of Voters, isn't it? It is. I mean, you know, <laughs> the legislature has changed the election dates a couple of times on us. But to your point, the primary for the gubernatorial midterm elections will be in June of 2022. Uh, and so that's something we're certainly trying to get the word out on. But well, there will also be some municipal elections then. Not all of them, but there'll be like for the county of Orange offices. Those yeah. will be on the June ballot. 
Correct. There'll be more than just the gubernatorial. Obviously, there's going to be congressional seats. There's going to right. be county seats. And then in the fall uh, in 22, you'll see all of the city contests. But that's kind of a level of sophistication. I think not everybody's attuned to that local governance and the county offices. Those are in the primary in a, in a midterm. And then the municipal, all the city races would be in the November election. So that's correct. That's, I mean, they're they're all local government, but there's a there's a bit of a distinction. So I want to now then transition into you were quoted. I don't remember exactly the date in the New York Times. and I'm sure a lot of other presses that about how the 2020 election result doubters were drawing down on your office's time and attention. So comment more about what's been interfering with your operations with the doubters. You know, I just, I, I am, um, I'm a bit frustrated because I know there are well-intentioned people that want elections to be secured, just like I do. Uh, it is absolutely such a critical operation that ballots are secure and this system, the vulnerabilities are plugged always. And, and yet what I'm faced with and what I'm presented with is absolute rubbish. There are things that come to me from uh, groups or organizations or individuals that is just based on flawed data and absolute zero facts. And you know what it does, Claudia, honestly? It makes me think about things that I know nothing about. And I look around society and I say, well, gosh, this must be X, Y, and Z. And then I think there must be a whole backstory to that that I'm not aware of because that's the way it is in elections. And, um, and it's just a constant challenge. I don't, I don't fault them for, you know, really wanting to drill down and to make sure these things are right. I think that's really important. But let's start with correct data, accurate information, and have a conversation. I think that's really important. The other thing I want to make note of is that not every county runs elections the same way. This is not a uniform system across the United States. So when you look at Georgia or Michigan or Pennsylvania or other locations, that is not how we run elections in Orange County. We go above and beyond what's required in law. We do audits beyond what's required in law and we do testing beyond what's required in law. And so if we start with that conversation, uh, it's much easier to have. So Neil, is this kind of frenzy starting to taper off or is it a constant? What's the trend here? Yeah, I don't think so. I think, you know, my my sense is we're going to see this conversation moving through 22 and 24 at a minimum. Um, and again, I, I think certainly in areas of the country where portions of elections need to be looked at and tightened up. And I, I firmly believe that. And I've been an evangelist about that. Um, it's a good conversation to have. Um, but I don't think that's going to go away, Claudia. So you are the man in sort of the national leadership of the Registrar of Voters officials. What has become, Neil, of your counterparts in other states who were pressured to resign? Many of them have. I have had conversations. I have uh, met with them. Uh, many of them resigned out of frustration or out of fear. Uh, you're talking about threats that election officials have received throughout the United States. You know, we're just counting ballots here, folks. Um, this is something that has gotten out of hand. And, and I really take a firm uh, position on this that we need to slow down and realize that there are professionals in any industry that are doing good work and good service. And, and I think we need to recognize that. At the same time, 
understanding, like I mentioned before, that if there are vulnerabilities or issues that need to be addressed, that needs to be done as well. But yeah, you, you, we've seen an exodus that I haven't seen in my 18 years um, from colleagues, not only in California, but across the country. Well, it, I think it should all make us cringe that that institutional knowledge just vaporizes and hearing you talk about all the intricacies of administering elections, well, aren't you concerned that that institutional memory doesn't exist and there's that there, how can anybody possibly learn the things that a good administrator knows? And we'll, we'll bring up the, as the last factor, security issues in, in this interview, we'll talk specifically that, but that enormous sort of level of operation and with such fragility uh, that it could be a part of that to, to secure. I, I think that's a really good point. And I think that, you know, offices need to have good succession planning in place and continuity of operations. And I think across the board, many, in many cases, you see that. Now, that being said, I think we need to continue to look at professionalizing this industry and individuals, you know, you have to understand like in other parts of the country or even parts of California, where you have people get elected to this, these positions that really have no background in elections whatsoever, you've got to have a good support system and network in place. Um, and, and I think that that's really important. The other thing I just want to say just on this topic, since we're on it, is, you know, imagine if I walked into an aircraft at John Wayne Airport and I got on the plane and I poked my head into the cockpit and I said, hey, I read something on social media today. You guys better take a look at X, Y and Z. Think about how absurd that is. Um, and that's what professionals are faced with in this industry. That's what it has become. But I still believe in transparency and I still believe in educating uh, members of the public. And to their credit, people that come in and want to learn and want to find out how this works are doing that. And I welcome that. I think that's a really good thing that we should continue to do. Well, Neil, you're setting me up with an analogy. If the concern without the institutional knowledge of administering elections, if we go into that flight deck, there may not, it may not be a pilot. It might be a janitor. Yeah, and, and that's a really, really good point, Claudia. I think we need to continue to recruit good people into this industry. There's a lot of talent in this country, and I believe firmly that you know there's other skill sets that election officials should be coming in with. You know, I, I just think we need to continue to professionalize the industry and to recruit good people. Bottom line. So you have enough on your plate, but it looks to me like you may be tasked with helping in very sort of very detailed ways how to professionalize industry and maybe even sort of tr actually train, actually mm -hmm. mentor some of the newer administrators. That could be an, on you, Neil. And that's okay. And I've had delegations in the last three or four months visit my office from states like Michigan, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and they're coming in and wanting to learn. And I, I welcome that. I think that's fantastic. So that makes me guess or ask about the like the voter lab, the vaunted voter lab that has been the the smoothness of operations, the effectiveness has been attributed to that voter lab where people can see how it's done. You get the scouting groups, I guess, tours. Everybody's checking that out. Yeah. So is that voter lab taking off then? And it, maybe it's helping those it, newly trained administrators. It really has. And just to kind of set it for your listeners, you know, we are the only county that built a full size replica uh, of a working vote center here in our offices. It's like our test kitchen. 
And it, it, people go through that, on, like you said, on tours, all of our vote center employees go through that on training. We use it for signs, uh, uh, installation, research. We use it for colors and, and you know, all kinds of things um, that go through that. And so, yes, absolutely. People that come in want to see that. And it's been actually a really good tool for us. And I, I know I always managed to shoehorn the most unwieldy of topics, but I have to give it at least a little attention and as we close the interview is, what particular security issues are you able to talk to us about so we can A, appreciate what you're tasked with and B, have some confidence in how these, because the, the social media is always talking about the uh, penetration of electoral system. So what, what kinds of security issues are that you can talk to us about, Neil? Well, I can, I can tell you that we have a very robust platform for our cybersecurity, um, and that infrastructure has been put in place over the last couple of years, and strengthened, I should say, with the help of Homeland Security and the FBI, um, and we continue that work daily with them. I'm very proud of the ring of security that we have built. Um, and I think we're, we're certainly a leader here in Orange County when it comes to that. We have other uh, agencies that look to us for that. And, um, and we're just working on that daily. I will tell you also from a chain of custody standpoint and physical security, that I think we're a leader on. And I, I've been asked you know, from voters, well, look, I have some concerns. What's the best way for me to make my ballot as secure as possible? And I will tell you, Take your official mail ballot, sign it like you did on your original voter registration form, hang on to that, and you yourself walk that to a drop box that's under 24-hour surveillance, and it's picked up by my team daily, or hand it to one of our vote center employees in person, hand over that chain of custody directly to them. And I think that's a really good way to build confidence in voters, and it showcases the security levels that we have in place to protect those ballots. So it's a fraught question about security, but I have to ask, because I know the listeners would be wanting to have us check this box. So you were witnessing how in Maricopa County in Arizona, a private auditing firm went through actual ballots. Yep. What was your reaction to that scenario? Absurdity. Um, you know, ballots are protected. And when you look at California law, they're protected not only in the California Constitution, but they're protected in numerous state laws. And there's reasons for that, because you want to protect the sanctity of those ballots from third parties. And you want to make sure the election official maintains control of those. Now, you can have audits in public, which we do. You can come in just like in Arizona and watch us do that physically right in front of you. There's nothing to hide in that aspect. But to turn it over to a third party is just absurd. And you're not going to see that here in California. In fact, in Arizona, the legislature had to change the law to do that. But again, I promote auditing. I promote risk limiting auditing and things that are not required in law. And I invite the public to come in and watch us face to face do this auditing uh, and then us post the results. So I think that's the best approach. So and the security part is that the discussion is, as you well no, but other people are starting to dawn on this. Was that private sector auditing a means for reverse engineering to interfere with the next round of elections? Yeah, you never know, right? But the Maricopa County Board didn't take any chances and they scrapped the whole system. And just because of that, they started from scratch. 
So I think there's some merit to what you're saying. Um, certainly, you don't want to take that chance. And the, listen, by the way, I, I recently met with my colleague, the Maricopa County Clerk, Stephen Richer, who's a Republican, and he called this an abomination. That was his words, not mine. And, uh, and I think we need to look very carefully at how these things are conducted around the country and be very careful in what we're doing with us. Well, thank you for all of this. And as you defend the sanctity of our electoral process, we need to defend and support the administrators that are in a different kind of a frontline working situation. So we owe all of the professionalized elections administrators a huge debt of gratitude. So there's that. Well, I want to thank you again for setting time during a very busy season to be with us on Ask a Leader, Neil Kelly. Thank you for all of your service. Thank you as always. My guest was Neil Kelly, Orange County Registrar of Voters about the California statewide recall election already begun and ending on September 14th.